Welcome back to the DJ Sessions, where we feature the best DJs and producers from around the world. I'm your host, Darren, and right now I'm sitting in the studios, in the virtual studios for the virtual sessions, all the way in Seattle, Washington. And on the other end, on that side of the Zoom, we have none other than Vincent Caldron. I hope I said that right. That's it. From Teddy Cream, coming all the way in from Australia today. Thank you for coming on the show today, Vincent. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, you know, we were talking a little bit before the show and, and just wanted to mention that you are one half of Teddy Cream and your partner, Brandon, Brandon, that's right. Brandon yeah. is, is out doing awesome, famous, cool stuff today. Could make it in, but we want to thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you. No, thank you. And thank you for having me and uh, very excited to be here. Absolutely. And, and you two have been friends since about 2010. Were you two always into electronic music or was that something you both kind of grew into? Yeah, so we um, basically at that time, electronic music was taking over the world. So as a teenager, you couldn't be anywhere without hearing it. So it wasn't, it was really what was popular at the time. We both really enjoyed it. So that's how we got into it. You know, my background, I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you probably, um, just a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> you know, my background was I was listening to a lot of... Um, rap music and hip hop at the time in the States and in the early nineties. And, you know, I had always had been a fan of electronic music, but it wasn't mainstream. Even when I had one of my first jobs working at a record store, well, I guess it wasn't a record store. It was more of a CD and tape store, but um, the shelf for the electronic music section was very small. I mean, we're talking maybe two or three rows of CDs, yeah. maybe a few cassettes. And they were always mix albums or mixtapes of like, I remember DJ Kiyoki had one and I think Tiesto might've had one or some, some, maybe Tiesto was around at that, but I remember these, this, this electronic music section was not really there. Uh, and it wasn't until 1992, I went out to my first nightclub and saw my first DJ play and was like hooked to the dancing, the music, the culture. And it was still very underground at that time. So, you know, and then I transferred and I, I would have my city friends that I'd go to the nightclubs to electronic music with, but when I was rolling back at home and cruising in my Cadillac, it'd be the hip hop music with the, the two fifteens in the back. Like I would the never two cross lives. Two, two separate kind of lives. So it was always interesting, you know, of, of growing up. But eventually, I, I grew out of the that and moved into more electronic music and all that stuff. So you know, it's just interesting to see, you know, where you started. Were you always into that? And um, yeah, you know, so um, as, as we um, as we kind of grew up, we got into, uh, you know, all different types of music, still loved electronic music, but then um, a lot listened to a lot of bands, worked with a lot of bands and stuff like that, which is really cool because um, not you don't see too many people blend indie rock or, you know, uh, old, alternative rock with uh, electronic music where, yes, things like rap and hip-hop are kind of blended these days with electronic music. And it sounds really cool. So, yeah, there's there's plenty of inspiration out there. Definitely. And I know you probably get this a lot, but for our DJ Sessions fans that don't know this, what's the story behind the name Teddy Cream? Where did that come oh, from? Completely random. Like <laughs> it was, um, we kind of wanted something like Duck Sauce. If you remember, I think Armour Van Helden and A-Track were Duck Sauce. Um, and they made that song Barbara Streisand. And we really liked the name. The name was really, really cool. So we wanted something kind of similar. And we randomly came up with Teddy Cream. Nice. So, yes. Now is, is is one of you Teddy and the other's cream though? Or no, how we get that work? all the time. No, <laughs> nah. It, it's a name. 
encompassing all both of us completely so yeah no one is separated in, in the navy <laughs> nice I, I just had to ask our viewers want to sometimes know these things of course um you know what was your strongest or both of yours strongest motivation to pursue a career in music um i honestly we um we're about 14 15 when we started just playing like underage shows not you know no real pressure um, as soon as we did turn 18, we were pretty much straight into the club scene and were able to like sustain it. Um, and then we, we yeah, just got the opportunity to keep going with it. Um, so we didn't have any, there was no big turning point or risk. It kind of just like naturally progressed and uh, constantly kept working and it was getting bigger and bigger every year. So it was really, really cool. Like we had this great opportunity where we were doing really well and there was no um, sort of pressure to, to perform and you know uh it just came all naturally um so yeah the, that's how we kind of stayed into it and kept progressing and just keep doing because it it's yeah a lot of fun and what gear were you originally first playing on i mean this is only a few years ago maybe 10 years ago i'm sure you, there were cdjs out there but did you start out with I'm on the Pioneer 1000s yeah. and I got the best, the best gear at the time. Or were you like with Newmark gear practicing in your bedroom and playing with the, you know, actually, other- no. I, I bought a pair of, I think we bought a pair of CDJ 800s, which are like the silver versions, which are mm-hmm. like a lot cheaper because at that time the Pioneers yeah. were, and they still are like $10,000 a set here. That is super expensive. Um, yeah, but we had the 800s. We'll just practice on those. And then it got to the point where we were playing so many club shows. Like we, we played that many shows that there's no need for us to have them at home. We can pretty much practice while we're there. We're, we're playing, you know, sometimes two, three, four times a week, depending if we're on tour and stuff. So now we don't own any equipment. But when we did start, it was the 800s and we'd play in the clubs that um, play in the clubs and it'd be the 1000 Mark threes. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Yeah, you know, DJs start in their bedroom. They start with all sorts of things. I've had DJs tell me I used to mix cassette tapes and, oh, wow. and try to mix the mix the beats together on cassette tape or they'd have two C two uh Walkman, two CD Walkmans next to each other. Yeah. I've heard DJs using Windows Media Player and trying to take two different computers and playing Windows That's Media right. Player back and forth and <laughs> all these crazy setups until you know technology advanced to get them up and running. So it's always interesting to find out what gear people started playing on and what they what they prefer to use. Um you know, you started younger, obviously in your teenage years. You know, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given starting out as a, as a teenager in this, but moving forward into in becoming as successful as you are? Um, I don't know. I, I, we just, the best piece of advice I could give is just do it. Like there's no, um, there's no right or wrong way to do it, but no, I, no one's ever really given me advice before to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I would just, it, just do whatever you feel like doing. I think that's a that's a great mission say that's a great cause is just if you're sitting there contemplating doing something just go do it um one of my one of my more favorite lines from a a philosopher uh person that i really respect is alan watts and it's kind of like if you just do something you're gonna find other people out there that like what you do or you're gonna gravitate towards those people and then you're gonna learn and you'll surround yourself and have a positive environment doing what you do with those people. And eventually maybe you could get good enough if you keep doing it and charge a fee for it. Charge a fee for exactly. make a living doing it, you know, um, because everybody's interested in something. You just got to kind of find those people. And I, I, I listened to that 
monologue that he gives probably at least once or twice a year and share it with people all the time. And that, that falls right into that. Just do it. Go out there, put your life on the line and just kind of make it happen. So that's a, that's a good piece of advice there. Just do it. Um, what would you consider the biggest break that launched your DJ career careers would be? Um, I honestly don't think there was a massive um, break per se. There was a few like little sign- like moments where, you know, our, our videos on Facebook would blow up and stuff like that, but it was always kind of a steady snowball rather than a massive explosion. And then um, n- nothing afterwards. It was kind of, yeah. So it's always just constant um, yeah, videos going up or a few songs did, you know, relatively well, but there was never a massive explosion. So yeah, it's just like a, a snowball effect, which is really, really cool because you can kind of change your whole brand or your sets around what you're doing at the specific time. So you don't have to be known for one thing. Um, and that's what's really helped to stay alive for, you know, five, 10 years instead of, you know, two or three, which does happen in some cases. Definitely. And, and have, have you had a chance? And sometimes I talk about this all the time with people, you know, I don't get a chance very often to kind of turn around and look in the past and see all the work that I've done or the accomplishments or even just changes and things It kind of, when I look back now at my old work and the shows and the DJ sessions just started and you go, we were streaming that live, that quality was passing. This was allowed to be done to, you know, bringing it up to speed. It's just kind of interesting seeing that evolutionary change. Has there been an evolutionary change with Teddy cream over the years, whether it be in in a genre of music or a, a style of show or anything that have you got a chance to ever look back and say, yeah. I can't believe we used to wear this or do this on stage and we don't do that anymore. And we do this now. And- uh, oh, the old, the costumes is like, we, we got some pretty serious um, dress up costume type stuff. Um, and we still wear it to be fair. Uh, but no, the whole, the music that we play completely changed, obviously. And it still completely changes because it has to, has to, Um you know, the, the direction that we wanted to go at the start is completely different to the direction we ended up going now and the direction that we've gone down. Um, and it wasn't a, it was just a natural progression. It was never really a choice. It was what we, you know, you got bored of playing the same repetitive stuff. So we moved on to a little bit different, a little bit newer. Um, yeah, like we completely 180 or 360 of what we started with, um, because it was just the right decision at the time and didn't even, it wasn't even a decision. It just kind of happened naturally. And I think mm-hmm. it did happen all for the best. So and were your fans receptive to that or were they oblivious to it and just kind of kept going with the changes or was there any blowback? Uh, look in our, it's a really weird, good, a really good scene here, but a really, um, a very loyal scene to a specific especially in Melbourne, our club scene has their own music and it's really cool. It's awesome to go out in. And we did start in that club scene as we kind of gravitated towards international tours and that music wasn't really massively acceptable over there. But we were, you know, two or three years in that club scene, we were getting on, we were doing different things. So those fans that we we had there were a bit not as um, happy that we kind of did go down a different path. But for us, it was, you know, if we wanted to, take our music to the world type thing. It was the way that we had to do it. So um, it wasn't really a, a decision. It was just, like I said, a natural progression, but I still did uh, annoy a few people that were purists in our club scene, which is fine. It's totally understandable because, you know, that they did start, we started there and it does, 
get annoying when people do do that, but it is what it is. And you mentioned you're from Melbourne or you're based in Melbourne right now. Yeah. I, uh, one of my good friends just moved down there. Shout out to Jonathan Bates and uh, his wife, Gina. Good friends of mine just moved down there. It was going to be one of my first passport stamps for 2022. Um, still waiting on accomplishing that. It's on, it's on, it's on the plane. I, we're actually going to be going uh, the other side of the world. We're, we're headed to, to uh, you know, Sonar and ADE this year, plans for that. So we'll be in Ooh, Europe nice. this year. Um, but definitely want to get down to Melbourne and, and check that out. What has been when you're out to tour and everything, what has been your favorite city to actually play in? Um, oh, there are so many and everyone's so different. Um, in Australia, Adelaide's really, really good, which is a really unknown, like not many people know about Adelaide, but it is a really, really good city with a great nightlife. It's not huge, but the nightlife's amazing. Um, but if we go all around, probably Belfast in Northern Ireland. Okay. which is where we, we live over there. We used to live over there before COVID for half the year um, and tour Europe from a house in Belfast. Okay. And their shows and events uh, and their crowds are unbelievable, like really, really insane. You, every, I, I do say to everyone, you have to go there one day and just the nightlife is amazing. And you've almost took the next question, like you're a mind reader or something here. Have you ever considered moving to another country and you kind of mentioned that you live half the year when you could over in Belfast. Have you yeah. ever considered moving and, and relocating permanently to another country? And if so, where would that be? It almost sounds like Belfast might be. Yeah. Um, look, it'd probably be, yeah, probably Belfast. I, I'd consider Amsterdam, but the price is just like, just to live there is super expensive. That's the only problem. Um, yeah, no, but I probably, if I did consider moving, full on i'd go to belfast but i wouldn't only because for six months of the year the europe kind of not shuts down but their club scene kind of stops in the mm -hmm. winter years where basically what we do we go over there for the summer anyway and then come back home to australia where everything's open for the summer here so the way that we, we work well, before covid was really really cool um, yeah that, would, that makes total sense um yeah. and that's awesome and you played literally countless large-scale events and we all kind of know what happens on stage because people are watching. You watch what's going on. Can you give us some insights of any crazy stories that like something that piques your mind of something that's happened backstage at some of your events? Um, oh, I, got a, I got a decent story from um, when we were, so we were playing two shows in one night. I think it was in from Belfast to Dublin. That's where we were going. So Belfast, Northern Ireland, Dublin, South Ireland, in Ireland. Um, mm. So, yeah, we, obviously there in the winter, it's freezing. And this was in the winter. Um, so we were, we were there in February, finished one show, took, we had a, a, a car transfer and we had to gun it. So we had no choice. We had to, we knew that we were going to be short on time. So we were telling the driver, go, go, go. Um, on icy roads, one single lane road. And he's got, I think he had a Skoda, a Skoda Octavia. That's right. He had a Skoda Octavia and gunning it. I reckon we've hit about 120, 130 kilometers, which on those roads, it doesn't sound fast, but on those roads is, is really quick. Um, you know, bumps on the road. And then next thing you know, he's just completely skidded out 360 fishtailed. And we, we were sitting in the back seat. We're like, oh my God. Managed to pull the car back into the lane. All right, we'll go slower. We won't do that anymore. And then next thing within, 30 seconds, a massive semi-trailer, 18-wheeler just pulls past and we just, we all looked at each other, we stopped and we were just like, oh my God, 
yeah, we were freaking out about it, but we're all safe. But we had to, we, we thought, okay, we won't, we, won't ask. we won't do that anymore. If we get there a little bit late, we get there a little bit late. So, you know, yes. a crazy relatable story to something like that, that I had happened to me about 20 years ago, I was torn with a band in our area uh, over the mountains, which so we're in kind of a temperate moderate zone over here. Don't get a lot of snow. And when it does, everyone freaks out when we get an inch of snow, but over on the other side of the mountains, it can get a little snowy and, and cold out. We're coming back from the tour of me filming of the band that night. And we're in um, like a Volkswagen van again with a yeah. bunch of the band members. And I'm kind of sleeping in the back. And um, all of a sudden I hear the driver up front. He's like, Oh, oh I'm losing control. Uh, and he gets up. He goes, Nope, no, nope, no, nope, we're okay. He goes, Nope, nope, dude, we're going off the road. We're going off the road. And I was laying down. The van goes off the road, multiple roll rolls over, right? So we all kind of get out of the car, get out of the, the, the van, and we're kind of standing there and little bumps and nicks and bruises, not too bad. Well, I pull up my I, I start walking backwards towards the officer because now police have shown up. And as I'm walking towards the officer, about you know, maybe a good 500, 600 feet away. There's a bridge like we, that's what happened. There was ice over the bridge and we had slid over the ice over the bridge because it gets cold underneath and yeah. we went off the road after the bridge. Well, I'm walking back towards and there's the officer walking towards me. His car's up the road. He's walking towards me. So his back's this way. I'm walking this way. And the, the car wreck is back behind us. Over the bridge comes an 18 wheeler semi. As it's coming over the bridge, the back of the semi right as it crosses the bridge starts to turn like this on the road so the semi is going like this and the back of the thing's going like that and i'm like i'm watching this like final destination going we are all about to fucking die oh sorry well it's on i interview we are all about to die right now and the uh, and all of a sudden at the last possible moment the semi trailer goes flat and just starts going right down the road i mean it was completely in the other lane and the officer didn't even know what was going on and i'm looking i'm going did you, did you, did, 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 like, did you see that? Yeah. And he's like, I didn't see anything. And I mean, it was the free, cause if that would have gone, if it would have just caught and went off the road, he would have tumbled and, and wiped and us all out. Gone. Just completely wiped us all out. No way to get around it. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's a huge, so same kind of similar experience being on the I road, traveling from show to show. Yeah. I can relate to that kind of final destination kind of thing. Scary crap, scary crap, but yeah, nah, we're here not I to talk about either. Yeah, no icy good. roads. Uh, I try to avoid those. I like the plague now. That's why I like to fly everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, hey, I'll fly. I'll, I'll take a puddle jumper next time. You know, 50 bucks in a plane or I'll take a train. Okay. I'm cool. You know? <laughs> but um, going back to, you know, on stage, off stage, um, do you two become a different persona or a different personality when you get on stage? Nah. Or, or, or are you the same on and off stage? We're, we're pretty full on off stage and we're very full on on stage. And there's really no difference between, um, between that. Like you, you won't even, you, yeah, we won't go quiet when we get off stage. It's, <laughs> it's from the second that we usually get to a show, it's um, 120%. And then once we get off stage, depending on the show, it can, can get up to 150, 200% if the show was really good. So um, there's definitely like an after rush for us, like uh, after especially a good show, we're like all amped up and like, oh, so we're just as crazy as and like even our life sets, they are pretty full on high energy. So, we, you know, they're not, um, 
they're not long sets where your say your Carl Cox will be sitting there standing there for you know three four hours unbelievably you know every song is perfected and he knows what he's going to bring in in, in an hour's time like he's just an absolute um, magician essentially where our assets are a little bit different more high energy it's not really about the mixing as such and, and the, the specific songs is about the way that we're playing them so yeah it's 100 percent energy and stays like that the whole time and do you ever get to be playful with that energy i mean does it turn into maybe like you make practical joke with each other or or have some fun like with that energy oh, afterwards yeah. and just like it's just still we're on the road it's a blast like the like the, like you're almost never off stage in a sense is that what it's, you it's exactly yeah um we play practical jokes on stage <laughs> we yeah we have an, an absolute no we look more than anything we have an absolute blast on stage we have so much fun and that kind of translates to the I, I think that type of a job or this type of a job especially if you're not having fun, then they're not going to have fun. And it's your, yeah, they, they will only read off you. So we have a lot of fun together. So if, even if there was no one in the crowd, me and Brandon would have a, a heap of fun just playing songs anyway. So if there's people there, it's even better. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's one of the, one of the more bigger stage presence things that sometimes you have to kind of learn that. I, I mean, I know people like, Darude will post up little cards and, and people will post cards back and he'll kind of have conversations with people in the audience. Yeah. Um, you know, ever since one of the first DJs I saw by the name of Donald Glaude, one of the things he would do, I never, I thought this is how normally DJs were for, for a while. Cause it was one of the only DJs I'd really go see in the clubs that, you know, he'd, he'd bring the volume down and just be like, make some fucking noise people and then crank it back up. And that, and the crowd would just go insane. And that, so I would go see other DJs and go like, why aren't they interacting with the crowd? Why aren't they doing something? They're just, they're just mixing and they're just doing this. You're not in, you know, and that's what I think made such an impression on me with Donald, like that interacting with the crowd or the DJs that do interact with the crowd that way to build that audience participation or bring them in even one level closer or further yeah to their enjoyment of what they're actually doing. I think that's an awesome thing to do. And, and so there's always a time and a place for it. I think like for the shows that we play, it's absolutely acceptable for that. But there's, you know, we went to Ibiza for just a, a holiday and I could totally understand why no one, it was about the music and just the music. Um, the DJ was not secondary to it, but it was about really about the music. And it was really, really cool that like you'd have uninterrupted music for three hours where in our sets, it's not, you know, we're not playing in Ibiza. It's a completely different vibe and it's totally different. So I, I do get this, there's um, almost within DJing, there's so many different types as well, which is really cool. So it's a very um, diverse little field. Yeah. And, you know, it leads me right into one of my other questions I have, which is great. At clubs or other dance events, should people look like they are, look at the DJs like they're rock stars? Or would it be more fun if DJs were just more kind of anonymous and just part of the bigger event? What would be your take on that? I don't know if the, um, it really depends. Like, uh, I don't think they should be anonymous because it, it is an amazing skill as in like those DJs that do pick the music and, you know, prepare a full-on uh, journey almost for their audience. That is an unbelievable skill that absolutely de deserves uh, all the recognition it gets because, yes, you are, people say you just mix the music, but the, the selections of the songs at the right time while everything is going, you've only got 20, 30 seconds to make that decision. And if these guys are hitting the right decision every single time, I mean, that that's 
that goes to show that they, they're very well experienced and know their thing. So I think they should be recognised for it. But I think there should be a middle ground between a rock star and a part of the show where it's not like, oh, you know, you're going out to flock to a DJ because the festivals and the lighting is so much of the atmosphere. It should be like a middle ground where, yes, you're going to see the DJ, but you're also going to see these amazing lighting crews that are putting these huge performances, lighting performances on and the sound systems that you're getting. And, and even like the, like Tomorrowland, like a stage setup. Now people are kind of going there just for the experience of what they've built over the last four or five, or what is it, weeks? I think they do it over. Um, yeah, so I, I think, and that's kind of good that, yeah, the um, actual cr backstage crews are getting a lot of the credit that rock stars used to get, but now it's them, which is really cool. So... Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I went to EDC for my first time last year and was just completely blown away by the production value of everything that was happening there in so many ways. Uh, it, was, it was just a, a really awesome experience. I've been to some other festivals as well and was blown away by the production value of what goes in. It's much different in a festival environment than it is in a nightclub environment. Um, but, you know, still at, at all levels, there's always behind the scenes productions that are going on, you know, trying to up the bar, up the experience overall. So got to give credit to kind of everyone out there. Um, you know, that, there's a lot of, um, especially. Um, oh, now I forgot. Now that, uh, Eric Prids, like his show yeah. production is I've never seen it. that. My jaw dropped when I was watching videos. It was unbelievable. Like I'm. And, and that goes to like, yes, he's a DJ, he's a, a musician, but he's also now stepping into the realm of lighting production and an ex experience that you're walking into, which I'm sure there's a big team behind helping him with that, that yeah. do get the credit for it. Because I mean, you see these videos online and I, I mean, I was in shock at a couple of them. I thought this is just, um, this is a whole new experience with you're, you're changing essentially um, dance music with this like this is a small step in a completely different direction which is really really cool yeah one of the um one of my good friends we worked with them over a few years i've known him for a very long time one of the best lighting design companies on the west coast here in the states r90 lighting and, and joe cole and his team have actually done some design work for some of those bigger audio visual installations that are just yeah. mind blowing. You're just like, Whoa. And, and what they come up with is just awesome. Which leads me into the next question is, have you ever experienced experimented with mixing audio and video at the same time? And if not, is that something you'd like to try out or get into? We, we are, we've actually spoken about this before, but um, so a lot of like the real big DJs, like Steve Aikis and stuff will have their own, videographer or not a, a video DJ with them and will sync up their songs. Um, and it's, it looks really cool for us. I don't know if we'd like, it would kind of take away our shows are pretty full high energy. And I think it would take away from our, it would take the crowd's attention away from what's going on. Um, so we don't have never really experimented with stuff like that. And I don't think we would want to, we just do like a basic visuals, um, and nothing kind of syncs up with each other. It's just more about the performance on our end. Um, but it, yeah, I, I love that. Um, I love the look. I love how it looks and how it, um, it perceives to the crowd. Um, but for us, I don't think it would work quite well. Understandable. It's, it, 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 you're, I think you touched on a really great point there. You want the audience. You are the show. You are the visual. You are what's going on. You want the audience eyes on that, not... Well, look at this flashing over here and they're missing what's going on over here. 
uh, you're not doing you're you're not a, a David Copperfield or what's his what's the guy's name who always locks himself in the glass box. You're not doing a deflection technique or you know it, right. you're not you're not doing magic acts. I mean, well, it is kind of a magic act that you're doing <laughs> on stage, making sure it all it all works out. But um, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. That makes that makes total sense. Um, recently, you just had a track um, A B C D F U. Yeah. In okay, and was that that I, I got that I was listening to the Teddy Cream bootleg. So is that something you you remixed? You worked with them on? Tell us a little bit about that track. Yeah, we just um, so in our sets we play a lot of current music, um, but obviously you can't play the original songs because <laughs> it gets a bit hard. It gets a bit tricky. It's all different BPMs, and then, so we just kind of um, make a lot of remixes, bootlegs of songs that current at the time and we use them well like we play them a lot throughout our sets we put them online for people to download and stuff like that but mainly they're just so we can actually play them through our sets um and have current songs that we know will kind of work with the kind of music that we play because you can't always find the best uh, remixes and bootlegs online that will fit your set perfectly so at least if we make them i know that we can play them and the crowd will like it and they're there to see the type of music that we that type of music anyway so it's perfect yeah works out really really well awesome and we were talking a little bit earlier about um live streaming and, or i'm sorry about um making mixing audio and video together did you two ever decide to do anything with live streaming or have you looked into that as a medium moving forward at all no not really uh, the our our sets are like they have you have to you know, even for us, like, it's not as much fun. We want people there. It's the whole fun of the set. Um, I, I think it's too difficult live streaming. I, I think people have tried it and they've had somewhat success, but only in the short term. Because at some point people are just like, oh, okay. You know, if you're not there, you know, it's not anything to do with the DJs themselves. It's just the whole point of a DJ is to be dancing at a, fe at a festival or a club. And you're just completely taken out. If you're listening in your living room, I, I don't think it... Um, uh, yeah, it doesn't work long term, and I, and I really hope that everything slowly, or not slowly, fastly, quickly goes back to normal. Because yeah, a lot of people are really missing what they used to do. Absolutely, you know, we we definitely saw the boom or increase in live streaming of uh, across the board with everyone in March, April of 2020, and it was just in so interesting after doing a live streaming show featuring DJs, talking with DJs and doing all this in the studio and watching that transformation of when DJs first would come in the studio, you know, 12 years ago, it was very hard for them because they didn't have the live audience participation to feed off of for their set. Yeah. And I would have to have the conversation with them and say, well, where do you normally practice that if you're not playing in front of a club? They go, in my bedroom. I say, okay, do you have fun when you do that in your bedroom? Yeah, but I'm allowed to make mistakes there. I'm not live in front of a you know hundred or thousand people. I said, okay, well, what I want you to do is I want you to just have fun in the studio and it will translate through to the audience. Yeah. And we can get feedback in the chat room. It was a very new process because if you were if you were doing a mix, say on the radio, okay, nobody sees you, nobody knows what's up, and you could actually if you had it at the time, pre-record that mix and put it in on the yes. radio and nobody yes. knows. And it's, it's live at this time. And that's how I know a lot of radio stations are doing that. But when you're in a live streaming situation, people can get really critical about themselves. And I would have to tell them also, hey, just go with the flow. If you screw up, at least the audience knows that it's a live 
set and it's not pre-recorded. We yes. aren't just hitting record or play on something and faking the funk back here. And as long as you don't train wreck too bad, if I don't give you the look, <laughs> if I give you the look, then you know, like what's going on over here? Maybe we should pull the set. You're not doing too well. You know, it's only happened like twice out of all the episodes I've ever done over 12 years. The other years. thing is you, you're like super critical and you're like, oh, you know what? If I'm not on beat all the time, unless you stop the music, for short from stopping the music, no one would pick it up. Yeah, exactly. Like, and and like no one would no one ever would get it. I mean, unless it's really, yeah, really, really bad. And that very rarely happens. Yeah. But it's um, actually harder to do than it is to just normally meet. Like it, it's harder but, to really, you know, if you kind of know what you're doing, it's harder to make a mistake than it is to not. Yeah. You know, so like it, no and, one will pick it up. And it, you, you are, you, but that's everyone by nature is super overcritical of themselves thinking, I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing this perfect. doesn't sound 100% spot on, but most people won't won't notice and it will sound good. You just don't think it does. Yeah. And and that was one of the things too, with the energy, what, what we would call an energy transference in the early days, I would stand next to the DJ while they were playing and I would dance for four hours, like up and down. It almost had people turning into the show just to watch me and going, is this guy on drugs? How's he doing this? It's four hours. And I'd have like breaks where I could switch it to visuals and take a break and be like, Okay, 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 okay. Aerobic workout number four, back on, and I'd be bouncing, and people would tune in to watch that because that would be a like a, a check and balance for the DJ to know the music was going good, but then the audience would also they weren't just looking at somebody doing this, you know, doing this on camera. Yeah, you know, no audience participation, and now you know we're in the phase of of DJs where they're using the green screen backgrounds to let the visuals kind of do the action behind them while they're still doing not really much on camera or they're not interacting or they're not chatting and talking with people. Um, and that's a phase. We'll, we'll, we'll see the evolution of this. What work was cool itself with, out. Um, what definitely was cool with the live streams is a lot of DJs were going to like um, exotic locations, high rooftops, like penthouse rooftops or um, in nature. I saw a few from, some of my friends in Belfast, they did it. Uh, his name was Shugs and he did a, a live stream at a beautiful backdrop in Ireland, which was like, um, like on the, on the mountains with rocks and stuff in, in the background. It was unreal. And I think they had even had drones flying up there going around him. Like that was really cool. That was an yeah. awesome, an awesome, uh, live stream. And it kept, you know, while you're actually DJing, you've got a beautiful view and there's different ca- angles and camera changes. And that was cool. I, I will say that was really awesome. I would say you almost saw the cinematography take it up a notch that the set became almost like a one or two hour long movie. And they yeah. are now a soundtrack to that movie of that, of that footage that you're watching. Norm Pure, Norm Pure did one that was just phenomenal. I hope I said that name right. <laughs> Please, yes. Norn Pur, Norn Pur, my friend turned me on to it and the set was just phenomenal. They were out, they had the drone footage. They had her out in the middle of this big valley in the mountains somewhere. I, I could probably find it, but um, one of the ones we had come up with the idea for it and then somebody went and did it. We were going to do a hot air balloon oh, and yes. uh, we were going to call it Got Air or the, the hot air sessions, you know, and, and but it's a little, a little costly to do this. You know, but, um, you know, yeah. everyone started getting really creative with this stuff. And it was, I mean, I even saw a guy jumped out of an airplane and he was strapped into a chair and he was DJing. I think he flew into a visa. 
and was flying and then lands the couch down and gets up and walks away from the couch. That's and awesome. just leaves the couch and he's parachuting down, man. It was, <laughs> I mean, just some crazy stuff out there that I think really brought more attention to not only live stream, but what you could do as a medium and, and a visual presentation that the fans would love to, to have. I mean, you know, and you can reach so many more people. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of live streaming. Uh, I'm also a huge fan of virtual reality and augmented reality and yeah. what those experiences are going to be like. Hundred percent. That's a whole different world. Like yeah. that will change. I mean, probably maybe not even in my lifetime, but you can see that will change. Dance music forever. That yeah. will be. Yeah, I I have joined a few um, a few servers and stuff on just uh, not not through uh, virtual reality, but through um, computer, obviously through the internet, and it looks awesome. But there's also you know there's um now a, a massive app on on oculus that uh allows you to learn how to dj i won't name Pretty said I won't, I won't say name said app because they aren't giving us any money to plug them <laughs> but oh, I, know, sorry. I know i know what you No, it's all good it's tribe yeah. tribe no, is I'm a, saying that it was um it like it was spot on like it was the same they really did a good job with it so it, that will change it's kind of like, like it's kind of like one of those things i've been doing a dj show for 12 years going out to nightclubs for 30 plus years i've never learned how to dj and here they come out with tribe and i got a quest sitting right over there on my couch we're building our own virtual nightclub all this fun stuff i, I got other projects i'm working on the back end and it's like should i learn how to dj and should i learn to use tribe to do this i heard it's a blast i heard it's it's pretty yeah. awesome that yeah. it, and that's what I mean. Like that will check that that's unreal. Like, yeah. That and is. so, you know, I'm, I, 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 I've been sitting back. I've been playing, I play a lot of beat saber to work out with. I, I just got synth writers and I love synth writers. Do you have an Oculus? Yeah. Yeah. I got one. Yeah. So I, I just got yeah, synth writers so and I was able to put in my own custom songs. You know, they have a custom song library. People can yeah. put up and, and do all that. So I, I like synth writers a little bit better because it's a little bit more dancey than beat saber where it's, you know, chopping but i love love them both yeah but um maybe i'll have to go look at tribe now (laughs) yeah i I just did it more for the um i just wanted to see how accurate it was i'm like oh this is uh pretty uh pretty accurate you know nice well um in that note as far as technology goes and the big rave right now that everyone's talking about is nfts and have you looked at doing anything with NFTs or is that something that you're interested in? I think enough people have, um, have done it as in uh, enough people are doing it. It's not really a, um, not really something I've, I've really been interested in too much. I looked at them like a little bit at the start, but never really pulled the trigger on any of them. Um, I do have a lot of friends that are into them and, and spending some serious money on them. So I'll, 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 wait for them to either make or lose their money before I dive, dive into that world. But no, we, we wouldn't, it wouldn't really make that's, that's a lot of work involved actually making the, the discord communities and uh, the Twitter communities. And then, you know, the, I know you can get them uh, made up almost uh, generated, but still the graphic works. And then you've got to come up with like a, a backstory to the NFTs themselves. And there's a lot of work involved in that and probably would rather get on the stick stick on the music side of things more than um yeah it'll take a lot of time out of studio work and stuff so absolutely no understandable it's always the new technologies where it's like where am i going to put my efforts where am i going to devote my time what's going on i mean i might get three four hours of sleep a night going from you know 6 a.m 
till 1am. Uh, and even then I'm in bed at 1am. I probably don't fall asleep till two, you know, because I just, I, and some people just like, how are you doing all this? Uh, I recently had one of my DJs come up to me and he tells his, he was telling his husband how busy I am. And his husband's like, is that guy on drugs or something? Cause there's no way one person could be doing that much. You know, but I do pick and choose what I want to go after and make sure that we we get into that. Just like we're now live streamers. But before that, we were doing podcasts. Before that, I was in broadcast television. And then before that, I was on public access. So going through the medium of basically watching the evolution of distribution happen, I've always been on the forefront of that. And now seeing virtual reality and augmented reality yeah. come out. I, my, a lot of people know, they go, Darren, you're 10 years ahead of the game. You always have been. I've been watching you on the socials. You crack ground. And then 10 years later, everyone wants to pick it up and start doing it. And you're like, yeah, I've been doing this. What's going on? I've been doing this for a while. So, yeah. You know, NFTs are in, in that virtual reality, augmented reality. It's going to be something to watch for. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's definitely going to be see. kind of a game changer. I'll be very interested to see how they... Um, tying together so obviously you, you buy your nft and you can you have the rights to that on on the internet or on whatever medium you use it on but how it will tie into um vr and ar will be really interesting like i'm sure it will but just how it's going to work when there's you know how if you own so many nfts which one will people use? How can you rent them out to other people to use? Like, it's going to be a really, really cool, different, yep. different experience. That, and that yeah. that's one of the things we're looking at, like with our nightclub, uh, our version one, once we go to version 1.1, 1.2, we will include NFT art galleries where people can put up that artwork and say, you can buy that and curate almost a museum or art museum of different NFTs from around the world and say, would you like to list them in our, in our galleries, that's cool. Our different rooms, so people walking through it, like I like that. Okay, contact this buyer if you want to buy that NFT, and we could swap that out every month, which would then give the NFT community a reason to not to not only come to our nightclub for the music, and then our past episodes and interviews that we do, but our live streams, but also the curated NFT work within the whole complex of the nightclub. You that's know, cool. I mean, that's just. <laughs> I'm totally excited because I get to build in this like virtual world and bring it life to something that, you know, you have an Oculus. If you don't have an Oculus, go get one. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be that, that just, you're at the beginning of the technology and you're going to see it just morph into something great. But you know, that's how we want to use it, but there's a million different ways you can use this stuff. I, my mom got one the other day, I got her on an Oculus and, and got her playing in some stuff and she was just playing first steps. I don't know if you played first yes. steps. Yes. And she's like dancing with the robot. Right. And I'm watching my mom dance with the robot. She goes, Oh my God, this game is so cute. He's so cute. I want to do it again. I want to do it again. And I'm like, and my mom's, uh, you know, she's 70 this year. Yeah. No, you know? yeah. And, I put and one on for the first it. time. I put one on for the first time, I think probably like five, six years. When that, when the first Oculus mm. Rift came out, my mate bought one. I said, put it on. I'm like, I actually went through Google Street View. Um, like my mind was completely blown. I was just looking around. Like I was just in there for hours, just looking at literally my street in yeah. virtual. It's unbelievable. It's great technology. And yeah, it, it, I think it will do a lot of good for everyone in every industry, but even f especially for DJ, it's really cool. Yeah. And it, it, I can't divulge some of the stuff we're working on right now, but I have a developer that's really on some next level. He's the only one that's developed this kind of stuff. It's out there. He's tested it. It works. 
we're actually going to do some uh, some test runs with it in the next few weeks, get some Sweet. demos of it out there. I mean, you mentioned Carl Cox earlier and, uh, and, and uh, you know, he's working with a, a pretty big developer company. I believe the guys out of Russia and they created this world and it's, it's all, you know, there's it's Solarium. I think, what is it? Some, I can't remember the name of the, I should know the name of this, but what they're doing, we're, we're a step ahead of that. Oh, wow. Know? And, and, and yeah, so just stay, stay tuned to what's going on. Well, and sure. we'll, we'll definitely be asking people. We'll be able to basically, in a nutshell, take, take you halfway around the world, put you, you, actually you, into a virtual environment in any area that we want to around the world. So I could have you play... I could be having you play on an island in Hawaii. I could have you play a concert hall in London. I could have you play, you know, and but it's really you. It's it's you in the hologram as basically as a 3D representation of you. That's a so true, cool. true, a true version of you, not a, not an avatar, but an actual you playing. Like I could walk up and look you right in the eye, That's and so and, cool. and I could walk around behind you, or I, you know, if we allowed people to get up on the stage. So they'll be watching the real you, um, not a not an avatar or, or that. What a lot of people say that cartoon character avatar. Although this yes. could be really cool, but it's some really cool shit. The technology's there. We're going to be launching it here and, and and showing the world it here in the next month or two. We're excited for that. Awesome. Yeah. Can so um, speaking of 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 success, stage performing, doing all this stuff, NFTs, and looking towards the future. Success sometimes doesn't last forever for artists. Is there something that you both do to save up for the future? What do you invest your your earnings in? Um, Pre-COVID, it wasn't so much of an issue. It was still, you know, going around. No, um, really just property. In Australia, you're pretty much told from when you're born. Um, as soon as you got money, buy property. And they've never been wrong. Um that's like the safe bet here. It's, you know, safe, it grows well and you, you kind of left with something after cause you can't be, um, you can't do this forever. It takes, yeah, it takes a big toll on your body, obviously and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, that, and I built a nice, not a crazy studio, but I've started a relatively nice studio. So I'm doing a lot of, um, mixing and, uh, production work for other people, for singers, other songwriters and stuff like that. So that, that's another, stream you can go down as you um as you step away from like actually touring because I, I do feel like even if you went into like the lighting um and uh stage tech stuff which i love i used to do that when i was in high school like know it really well could definitely pick it up again but it's still a touring life like still long hours um around loud music around the same industry people which is fine but as you get older a lot of people won't like to be in that position so that's something I've always, yeah, I've always thought about. I'm like, hmm, if I'm a bit older, will I want to be in the position? Maybe not. So yeah, if you're in a studio and you can do work from home, essentially, it's uh, yeah, where I'd head. Do you, do you think maybe maybe a, a career path would be being like an agent or a, a label or helping out other people that started out at your age and saying, oh wow, here's something we're going to get back to. to, to kids or we're going to you know work with the younger generation and help to leave a legacy that's one of the biggest things that we're working on now that we see is there's a lot of people that are still in the industry 
and they've done a lot of good for the industry. I mean, Carl Cox is still rocking it. Yeah. You know, well, and he's, um, what's the legacy that some of these people are leaving behind? Um, you know, the bigger ones, you know, usually have layers and layers and layers of people. But in some of the local scenes, some of these cats have been there for 20 years and they're not doing anything to foster the growth of the newer DJs coming out. And they're kind of have to learn all their own and they're not getting that. That. Yeah. That tutelage or that 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 knowledge, you know, unfortunately. And um, I don't know so someone like Carl Cox is unreal. Um, so he actually lives an hour away from me here. He oh, yeah, that's right. In Melbourne, that's Australia, right. in Frankston on the beach. Um, we've, you know, a few of our friends over in um, in Spain have told us stories about how wonderful he was and, you know, always really nice. And there's never a bad story about someone like him. But even when he came here, he's done so much work with young music students. He's gone into music. Like we're talking like in Australia, he, he doesn't get the recognition that he really gets overseas. Like people think they give him the recognition, but they really don't. Like he is possibly the biggest, the most influential DJ that's ever lived. Realistically, like he is one, one of the most influential in the way that what he's done in Ibiza is, is unbelievable. When he, what he did with space was, was something never seen, you know, almost never seen before. Um, but he just would just like rock up to music schools um, where the kids were learning to DJ and stuff like that. And t- just talk them through it and stuff like the kids, you know, we wouldn't really understand that as much here because we're from Australia where he wasn't, um, he wasn't as big as he was overseas here, but yeah, someone like that with that type of um, status to do, to start fostering the youth into how to DJ. It's unbelievable. And it's really, really cool. And it's something that I would like, I'm not probably definitely not of that size, but um, I, I would think about doing that in the future for sure, which would be really cool. Um, well, we're definitely going to have to take some time and get down there and visit you. Uh, I, I yes. like I said, it, it's, it was on my 2022 agenda to get a passport stamp from Australia, get down there, hang out. Uh, my friends, like I said, just made it down there and they're all settling in down in Melbourne. So not too probably far away from where you're at right now. He was just celebrating his birthday a day or two ago. Had I said, have a pint on me. I'm, I'll, I'll be down there as soon as I can. It's great to see you. Is there anything you want to let our DJ Sessions fans know about before we let you get back to what you're doing down there? We will soon be on tour. I hope we've rescheduled about six times now, obviously, but no, this year is definitely for everyone across the industry. This this year is definitely looking better. It's looking more stable than any other year after this Omicron rave kind of fades off, which mm-hmm. is what we're all being told now. I think our industry will, will really, um, really do well. And I think a lot of people as much as, um, They've started going out a little bit. I, I think we'll see some of the biggest events either this year, if not this year, then definitely next year. But I think all the big festivals will be back. So it's really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And when you say go back out on tour, is that just going back over to Europe and being on tour? Or do you get stateside play as well? Um, so the problem, like we had so many stateside requests, so many, and it was really, really frustrating that we obviously, especially in Australia, how strict they are, um, we could not go. We basically would not be allowed back into the country at that point. Now it's a little bit different. Um, so we're going to try and put something together for the States. And there was heaps of people asking like a lot, especially through TikTok because of our TikTok. So we're definitely going to try and put something together either this year or next or late this year, hopefully, but we'll just wait and see for what, what happens. 
Awesome. Well, if you get over here, you get to the West Coast. Maybe we'll look. We'll we'll get together and hang out no, there. Absolutely. If not, if we're over in, uh, if you are over in Europe, maybe if you get there for Sonar, you're there for ADE. You know, we'll, I, we'll definitely contact. ADE. I, I think we're going to try and be there for ADE this year. Awesome. So it's late enough we'll in the year because it's like in yeah. October. You know, yeah. so um, I, I can't even get press clearance until June. They're like, no, we're not giving anything till June. I'm like, all right, fine. But we're definitely going to plan to be there on the ground and, and doing something. Uh, it was a pleasure talking with you, Vincent. Thank you so much. Where can people actually find out more information about Teddy Cream? All of our socials. So Facebook, for slash Teddy Cream. Instagram, for slash Teddy Cream. Uh, our TikTok is probably my favorite. I love our TikTok. It's so much fun. Um, which is, <laughs> I, I think it's Teddy Cream on TikTok. Um, uh, yeah. SoundCloud and YouTube, Spotify as, as well. Um basically all the big socials. So I'm not late to the game when it comes to TikTok, but I make so, I mean, I, I put my own stuff up there and I laugh my ass off at my own stuff. Going, this is stupid, funny, stupid, but I do a lot of, I, I'm known as a foodie online. So I mean, okay. you got, if you went to my Facebook, you know, my DJ sessions is like DJ session stuff, but I'm now putting a little bit of my food pics there. But if you go to my Facebook, it's like 50% of my pictures that I share up there are meals that I make, you know, and food that I make. And you make. so, you know, it's like, I like to cook. I like to make food. And, so but I've been making some, I've been taking videos, small little videos of the prep that I do for all of my dishes. And then like the other day I put one up and it was with the song, Eat It by Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah. And it was like the different phases really quickly and like, do it, you can't just eat it. I'm just like, oh my God, this is, a, it's a riot. I mean, I get it. I get it. It's just another social medium I got to put into my overall to, social yeah. media mix and get used to it because it isn't just sending a photo or sending a hashtag, you know, which you can do with Instagram. It's, different. And Instagram is going to be focusing a lot more on reels now moving forward. They're kind of in a real lull with Inst with TikTok taking over. I could talk about social media all day long. I don't need to get into well, that. Our, our, like, like I said, our Instagram, we noticed straight away, like as soon as TikTok started taking over, people just were off the platform. Yep. Um, and that, they just turned off the platform. Like even I did, because I, I was kind of like, mm, Instagram, it's just a few photos. They're not really prioritizing their art, like any artists or businesses. They're doing what they did with Facebook. So it was really frustrating. Yep. So I'll go on TikTok. Yep, exactly. So just let us post whatever we want. Give us decent reach. If people want to see the content, they will. And they did. So, yeah. Yep. I think that's, that's the huge advantage of TikTok right there. You couldn't have summed it up better. It, it's not owned by Meta. And uh, yeah. doing the same formula that Meta rolled out with. And social media, it's a game in itself. But <laughs> like I said, we could talk about that in a whole other conversation. Social media. For a little bit. But Vincent, thank you so much for coming on the DJ sessions. It was a, great to have you. We'll definitely be following up with you over the course of the year, staying in touch with you, finding out all the other awesome stuff that's going to be coming up for the both of you this year. No worries. Thank you so much for having us. We've had, I've had a great time. So you're welcome. Thank you. Pleasure was ours. And on that note, don't forget to go to our website, the DJ sessions.com. Find us on Facebook, find us on Instagram, find us on TikTok. hashtag the DJ sessions or TDJS. If you're so bold, this is Vincent and I'm Darren. That's Vincent from Teddy cream. I'm Darren from the DJ sessions coming to you live for the DJ sessions presents the virtual sessions. And remember on the DJ sessions, the music never stops.